Cool. Well, if you have your Bible, I hope you do. Turn to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. We're in a several-week series in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. And if you're uh, visiting the mill this morning, I'll tell you that this is just kind of what we do. We just take a chunk of scripture at a time and we read it to you and then we talk about it. And today is no different. By the way, if you are visiting with us, it would be awesome if you would oblige by filling out a welcome card. We just love to have a record of your attendance, and you can do that by hard copy at the back at the welcome, uh, well, the little table, high table there. Uh, You can put a physical card in the box, or you can do it digitally on your smartphone at any time during the service, and particularly if the sermon is boring to you, just hop on your smartphone. Go to the mill.church slash welcome, the mill.church slash welcome, and uh, we'd love to get to know you better in that way. So today is, is uh, one of the top three stories in all of the Bible, the most popular, the most well-known, and that is a story of Daniel and the lion's den. Now, how many of you would say, I don't really care for cats, just out of curiosity, you're either a cat person or you're not. Okay, so six or seven of you. How many of you would say, I love cats? Okay, well, today's for you, you cat lovers. Daniel in the lion's den. And we're going to talk about courage today. Uh, I hope to show you that courage isn't something that is uh, manufactured in a moment, as it's often portrayed. Uh, you see People, you know, in, in a situation where somebody's trapped coming up and with adrenaline and such, lifting, you know, an automobile off of a human being. It's amazing what the human body can do under duress. But I'm not really talking about that kind of courage today. What I hope you see is that courage is developed through a lifetime's worth of small and consistent decisions that we make. It's not all the time, but it just pops up in a moment of need. Courage is is a pattern. Courage is a program of the heart. In fact, if you search Google, uh, use a search engine, you know that Google often autofills the search bar according to what you've searched in the past, according to how you've trained Google. The same is true to how we respond to adversity. It depends in large part on how we're trained to respond to adversity. Your actions will autofill depending on the patterns you've established already in your heart. So the Greek philosopher, I'll begin with this, Aristotle, who lived actually not long after Daniel, our character in this series, Aristotle said this, excellence is not an act, excellence is a habit. And believe it or not, the same is true of courage. Courage is a habit. Courage is is developed, again, over years and years and years of repeated patterns. So I want to remind you today of our context before we get in, because I know this can get lost as people pop in and out during the summer. Babylon has, by now, by chapter 6, been overthrown by this combined couple of armies, the Medes and the Persians. It took two um, kingdoms coalescing to defeat the mighty Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar has been been thrown out. In fact, he's been killed 
along with his family members. Uh, And Daniel is now in service to King Darius of the Medes. Uh, Daniel is now north of 80 years of age. Can you believe that? He's still captive in Babylon. Uh, we, do, we do not know what's happened to his buddies. Who were his buddies? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's possible they may have died or been killed by now. We met them earlier in the book. Um, and the new king, Darius, has decided to keep on his court some of King Nebuchadnezzar's advisors, which are called in the text wise men. So we're going to begin with verse 3 of chapter 6, and this is what we read. Daniel distinguished himself above all the other high officials and satraps because he had an extraordinary spirit. So the king planned to set him over the whole realm. Whose story does this remind you of? This reminds me of the story of Joseph, right? Who got promoted, honored God, came out of the pit in the prison. Here Daniel is in captivity um, being noticed for being resilient and distinguishing himself. No matter what circumstance he's in, uh, he's incredibly positive Uh, He, at multiple points in his life, would have had said about him, Daniel, your life is over. Um, And Daniel seems to keep saying, no, it's not. (laughs) It's it's not over. God's not done with me yet. God still has something for me. He's 80. Can we just acknowledge this morning that God can still use 80-year-olds? You're aware of this, right? God can still use people in later stages of life. Old people can still do awesome things for the kingdom. Consider a few examples outside the church, uh, outside of uh, God's uh, work. Did you know that at age 83, William Gladstone became prime minister of Great Britain for the fourth time at age 83? At age 85, actually, here's an here's a example from from. Those called by God to preach, John Wesley, still preached at age 85 two to three times a day with eloquence. And I need a nap after preaching twice a day on Sundays. True story, and I'm 40. Okay, that's impressive. Over twice my age, preaching the lights out. At 89, Michelangelo. Any Michelangelo fans in the room? Okay. Renaissance art, probably not a big uh, admiration in Stratford. I don't know. Um, but Michelangelo painted the Last Judgment, now one of the most famous paintings in all the world, at 89. At age 90, Thomas Edison, age 90, was still going to the patent office to file for new inventions that he'd come up with. Age 90, George Bernard Shaw, was writing plays in his old age. Harlan Sanders opened his first Kentucky Fried Chicken after getting fired from a dozen previous chicken places late in life. Winston Churchill, one of my favorite examples, won his first election at age 62. He'd lost every single election until age 62. He kept working at it. I would say that's an example to all Minnesota Vikings fans. Keep working at it. 
Your franchise is only 60 years old. Okay? Keep at it. You're young. Churchill was 71. 71 when he led England into World War II. So for all of you seasoned people in the room, please don't think your work is done for the kingdom. Please keep inviting your friends, your neighbors, as as, uh, Brian talked about just moments ago. Please continue to love people, to show them toward Christ. Uh, Verse 4. The administrators, the satraps, therefore, kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom. Of course, they were jealous of him, how he had won the king's favor. But they couldn't find any charge or corruption, for he was trustworthy. No negligence or corruption was found in him. How many of you know we have the midterms coming up next year? It's kind of hitting the news cycles already. Um, I would say that uh, we, like in this book of Daniel, or do we not uh, keep trying to find charges against other people in political seasons? Um, Commercials will, of course, start multiplying in 2022. So-and-so is a liar. And how many of you get the mail? Am I the only one that gets the mail? So-and-so is, is a liar, and, and uh, 32 years ago, he said this at this party in, you know, middle school, um, and he voted to, uh, with, with, with a big nursery, by the way, to take away candy from a baby, okay? We see all these ridiculous attempts at character assassination. This is exactly what they're trying to do to Daniel. It's no different. And they always seem to find something. In this case, they can find nothing to destroy Daniel's credibility. And that's after six decades of public service in bringing counsel to the king. They can't even as as much as put a smudge on his reputation. At this point, Daniel has been trustworthy for years. Verse 5. Then these men said, well, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. And these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever, sincere or bloviating appealing to his highness, trying to scratch his back, bend his ear. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, all the guys who have told you wrong in trying to interpret your dreams for all these years, the counselors and the governors, we've all agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes prayer or petition to any god or any man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. What are they doing? 
they're doing nothing other than people do in political contexts today. They're trying to find a loophole. They're trying to find a way to snag Daniel. They're trying to find a weak spot in the laws of the land, or in this case, create one. And while their motive is hidden, I think it's actually a pretty ingenious, a pretty smart plan. Think about it. They're appealing to two things. They're appealing to Daniel's faithfulness, which is obvious. He's demonstrated it for six decades. And they're also appealing to the king's ego. How many of you know this was common for a king's head to to swell and to stay swole? So basically, they're like, oh, king, your, your subjects need to learn that they can depend on you for everything, for every one of their needs. Right, King Darius? Right? They're probably doing the Sullivan nod. You ever heard of that? This is what we do when, when, you're, wait, when you're being a waiter or a waitress and trying to upsell a salad or a dessert. Would you like a salad with your meal today, sir? And statistically, you can actually talk people into buying things that they don't want to buy just by nodding. Research proves it. Shoot, I used it all throughout college. Would you like a piece of our key lime pie today, ma'am? We're not banning prayer for all time, O king. Just for 30 days, just to really establish king your preeminence over your kingdom, how sufficient you are, O king. Verse 8. Now, O king, establish the injunction, sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. See, the Medes and the Persians had this custom that once a law was passed, it couldn't be changed. The purpose, historians tell us, is to keep things or to keep kings from passing arbitrary laws only to benefit themselves, these willy-nilly uh, kinds of, of uh, laws that when they were in a bad mood, you know, they, they get beat at pickleball by a left-handed guy, so they say, uh, everybody, you know, we're going to outlaw left-handedness. And then the next day, the king is irritated with one of his wives, so he passes a law. No women can argue with men in the kingdom. Boom. The Medes and the Persians said, we need to curb some of that. We need to curb some of this law creation that comes out of, out of emotional responses to situations. So let's just make them permanent. That way they know they can't reverse them. That way they'll think more critically about the laws that are, are passed. Verse 9, therefore King Darius signed the document and injunction. They were smart to add the little 30-day piece. It's only for 30 days. It's just temporary. It's, it's a law that cannot be revoked, but we've, we've built the temporary nature of the law into the law. So even if it's passed, it's revoked in 30 days. Verse 9, therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. What was Daniel's response? Verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document has been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber toward Jerusalem. 
And he got down on his knees three times a day, and he prayed, and he gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Understand, Daniel has prayed three times a day for 70 years. He's been faithful in his prayer life. This is a, this is a habit for him. This is, we see this in the book in chapter 1, if you'll remember, when they tried to force him to eat forbidden foods, he prayed. And he did it again in chapter 2 when the king threatened to kill all the wise men because nobody could interpret his dream. And Daniel asked God for the interpretation. And, and his friends had done it in Daniel 3 when Nebuchadnezzar had tried to force them to bow down to his golden image. Whenever Daniel had been in trouble, whenever his life had been threatened, what would he do? He would talk to God about it. In prayer. This response was as natural to Daniel as breathing. Which brings me to my question for you. What is your instinct as it pertains to prayer? Is prayer something that's exercised in your home, your vehicle, your workplace? your heart, your mind, seldom? Or is it something you just default to? How many of you like to fill up your car when the tank gets just underneath half full? Anybody? Super organized people among us? Okay, two or, th two or three of you. How many of you see the fuel light going on and think to yourself, I've got 30 more miles? Okay, some others here. How many of you see the check engine light come on in your car and you immediately schedule a repair with a mechanic? Okay, same people are nodding at me that answered about filling up their car prematurely. How many of you would say, uh, when I see the light on, the indicator light, the check engine light come on in my car, I interpret that as a suggestion. Okay, the, the latter folks to raise their hand, raise their hand again, right? It's the same mindset. Um, are you prayerful in times of need or, or are you prayerless? I think prayerlessness, to be clear, is like an indicator light that tells us something's wrong. If we're not talking to our creator on a regular basis, it's near impossible that we have this amazing flowering relationship with the Father. It's far more likely that we're distant, that we're disconnected, that we're unattached, that we're not speaking, we're not hearing from him. So prayerlessness, I, th I hope, can be an indicator light this morning on the dashboard of our relationship with Jesus. And if we're honest, we would say we're relatively prayerless right now. Our spiritual engine is way too hot. We're declaring when we're prayerless that we are prideful in the sense that we think we're self-sufficient. We don't need Jesus to carry our burdens. 
We don't need to talk to the one who provides. In fact, why don't you just assess in your mind and heart your level of prayer activity right now at your seat? How is your prayer life? Are you communing daily with the Lord as Daniel did? Or are you sitting on an empty tank? Is your check engine light on? Are you you talking to Jesus faithfully? Or do you only talk to him when an emergency triggers your prayerfulness? See, do you recall what King Nebuchadnezzar did at the end of chapter 4? If you've been here for the series, he said this, All those who walk in pride, God is able to humble Don't be surprised, friend, if you find yourself in a situation that's hard to see a way out of. Maybe you're there now. You're defeated in parenting. Am I the only one in the room who feels defeated in parenting at times? Shan and I, this is a regular context for discussion in our home. How can we do better? God help us. Sometimes I say when I pull in my driveway, Lord, these next two to three hours are the most important hours of my day. Please give me the strength. I don't want to check out. I don't want to abandon my family. I want to be here. I want to be present. I don't want to be distracted. I want to serve them. I want to hug them. I want to kiss them. I want to help them. Maybe you're underwater financially. Anybody live in the country with LP? Anybody called lately to find out what the going LP rate is? Called last week at $1.56 a gallon. Sorry to burst your bubble if you wait till September every year to call in the country. It's more than twice what it was. Last year when I called at this time, I think in the past couple of years, it's been as low as 63 cents a gallon, 73 cents a gallon. May go up, we don't know. Maybe you're underwater financially. Maybe uh, you've received a troubling report regarding your health or the health of a loved one. If that's you today, take it to the Lord in prayer. Like Daniel did, turn away from your pride By being prayerful. Tell the Lord, you can't do it on your own. You need his help and lay it at his feet. Daniel's mind says this. Ultimately, ultimately, because I don't belong to me anymore, I belong to God now. I'm a child of the king. These aren't even my problems. These are his problems. Only he can remedy the situation. So I'm going to give it over to him. I'm not going to weigh this anymore. Church family, casting your cares on Jesus is a thrilling way to live. If you can learn how to do it. If you can learn to talk to him frequently as opposed to intermittently. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, come to me all who labor. What a soothing verse of scripture, a couple verses. Come to me all you who are laboring and heavy laden. I will give you what? 
rest. Anybody need rest this morning? Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Again, if you're tethered to another ox, you benefit from the ox's strength. So it is in being tethered to Christ. There's an old song that says, What a friend we have in Jesus. Oh, what needless pain we bear. Am I the only one here who bears pain needlessly when I could take it to Jesus? I see some of you who are older in years nodding at me. I know, because I've been told this by my father, you don't stop worrying about your kids when they come of age, when they become adults. You worry about your kids a whole lives, your whole life. Can we give these things to Christ? Daniel says, these are God's problems. Cast your burdens upon the Lord, Peter said, and he will sustain you. There's a, there's a peacefulness that is found in a time of prayer, in the, in the prayer closet, is the expression that's been around the church for years. Sometimes it's a physical, literal closet. People devote in their home to prayer. Not uncommon. They clear it out. They go in there just to pray. They meet with God multiple times a day, just like Daniel does. This isn't un- uncommon. I would say it's not common, but it's not unheard of. There's a peacefulness found in the prayer closet that you will not find in yoga. You will not find in a drink after work on a Friday with colleagues. You will not find it with good friends. You will not even find it in a walk through nature, although I love combining the two. Talking to the Lord while walking through nature. The old timers used to call this a sweet, help me, hour of what? Of prayer, sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour hour of prayer, the song says, that calls me from a world of care and bids me at my Father's throne to make all my wants and wishes known. In seasons of distress and grief, my soul has often found relief and oft escaped the tempter's snare by thy return, sweet hour of prayer. So Daniel prays. And of course, the other wise men see this because they're watching him. This is entrapment, purely. And they're they're barely able to contain their excitement when they see Daniel praying because the king's already dropped his edict bomb. And so they run back to the king. I'll paraphrase verse 12. You know, king, we we hate to tell you this. I mean, we we just hate to tell you this. But, 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 and coincidentally, of course, after, right after you signed this irrevocable edict, we saw the guy you love, Daniel, praying. We all just happened to be on the balcony directly across from his window. We all just happened to all have binoculars hanging from our necks. This all just happened to have concurred at his regularly scheduled prayer time, and we saw him. And based on the edict that you coincidentally enacted yesterday, the law cannot be changed. Prepare the lions. 
And Darius, he's no dummy. He sees right through their ploy, their ruse. He can't do anything about it. He's tremendously upset. He loves Daniel. Love it or hate it, he's in a pickle. Because he's got this ridiculous custom he has to abide by his king. And so he feels he has no choice but to execute, as silly as that sounds, to our Western ears. It was the law of the land. Verse 16, then the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. See, I I do pick on cats from time to time, but I, I do think if we could just take a moment and reflect that a pagan king who could have concocted any kind of torture imaginable chose to throw this guy, the the most cruel and unusual punishment he could fathom was to be alone with cats. Isn't that something? I've been telling you for years. I've actually become more fond of cats in recent weeks. My kids, we got some cats. They had kitties. We're getting rid of them, but they had kitties. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Verse 18, Then the king went to his palace and spent the night. Isn't this interesting? Pagan king trying to tune into God on Daniel's behalf. No diversions were brought to him. And sleep fled from him. In other words, he didn't binge on Netflix on this night. He didn't become remotely interested in his Xbox. He's concerned about Daniel. Verse 19, then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste, hurriedly to the den of lions. And as he came near the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Isn't it something that, that everybody else in this story was up the whole night except for Daniel? The jealous wise men were more than likely up all night partying, rejoicing at his impending death. The king was up all night worrying. The text says that directly. Daniel's friends were up all night praying. The angel was up all night protecting Daniel. And Daniel is the only one who got a good night's sleep. Isn't that something? Then the king was exceedingly glad, verse 23, and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Does the text say God rescued Daniel because Daniel was special? 
No, it doesn't. Because God knew Daniel needed some extra Bible study material for when he would write his book to go along with the, with the fiery furnace story. It's not what the Bible says. The, the text says it happened for one reason. Because Daniel trusted in his God. What does that mean? That means you too can look for, for providential protection in your life when you pray like Daniel did. That doesn't mean God's always going to rescue you in this life. Sometimes he does not. Jesus brutally suffered on the cross. But you know what? Often he does rescue in this life. Often he does. And ultimately, he's going to rescue all of us who trust in him, whether it's in this life or in the next life, whether he comes back before we go to meet Jesus and we meet him in the air, or whether we come out of tombs to meet Jesus in the air. Verse 24, And the king commanded, and those who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they and their children and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Why does the text mention that the lions ate the wise men and their families before their bodies even hit the floor of the pit? I think Daniel tells us this just in case we were thinking, oh, this is easy. The lions were well fed when Daniel was thrown in. The lions just weren't hungry. Clearly, they were starving. I also want to acknowledge that wives and children being included in this punishment is really hard to read. It feels very unfair. It feels very cruel, and most certainly it was. The Bible is giving us here a description of what happened factually, historically, not a prescription of what ought to happen. The Bible is not condoning here the king's act of cruelty. In fact, in the book of Ezekiel, God explicitly condemns children being punished for the sins of their parents. But this was unfortunately common in the ancient world. Kings would not just kill their enemies. they kill the wives and the children. Why? Why? They wouldn't want the kids growing up wanting to avenge their father's death. They didn't want to see mutiny later on in their reign. Verse 25, we're almost done. To 28, we'll wrap it up. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace, this is, this is from the pen of the king. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God. In other words, he's not made of stone and materials. You can't transport him from place to place. He's the living God. Enduring forever. His kingdom will outlast my kingdom, Darius says. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be the end. He delivers and rescues. I've seen him do it for Daniel. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Verse 28. So this Daniel prospered 
during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Notice that this chapter started with a prohibition on prayer. And this chapter ended with a sermon from a pagan king. And a pretty darn good sermon, I would add. Two things I want to leave you with. First, courage in the lion's den comes from consistency in the prayer closet. Let me say that again. Courage in the lion's den comes from consistency in the prayer closet. His courage, Daniel's courage, was the result of years and years of tiny acts of obedience. I'm not a prophet, but here's a truth that I think we could take to the bank. If we wait till the hour of our trial to try to talk to Jesus, you and I will fail. You and I will fail. You won't have the integrity to do the right thing in a big temptation, especially if you have had little lapses of integrity all along the way. High school students and young professionals, I'll talk specifically to you for a moment. Uh, Do you know what you uh, have? You have to maintain your confession of faith when everybody else in your class, when everybody else when your season in your season of life, your workplace thinks differently. You have to maintain your faith. You, you, how can you have the courage to remain sexually pure? That's not determined in the moment of challenge. That's not where you fight that battle. You'll fail. That is determined by what you do when you get out of bed every single morning. Namely, praying and garnering strength from Jesus. Small and and consistent acts of obedience, like, for example, a daily time of prayer, like reading a proverb a day, which is what I love to do, like a lifestyle of service to others, that is what will help you follow Jesus when the going gets tough. Daniel didn't have to decide to follow Jesus in the moment. He'd already decided to follow Jesus for six decades. Decide now, church, to walk with God. Decide daily to walk with God. When the hour of temptation comes, you'll have the resources and you'll have the courage to overcome that temptation. I want to conclude with this uh, story. I was in high school. uh, Rather, I was uh, between freshman and sophomore year of college, and I um, started working for a place called Timberwood Lawn Care. My, My dad's buddy had a landscaping business, and I worked with him for a summer. Timberwood Lawn Care, mow, blow, and go. Okay, That was our motto. And so I worked for Timberwood Lawn Care. Um, I'll never forget one of the sweetest customers we had was, a, was an elderly man by the name of, of Mr. Smith is what we called him. He did not live, uh, he lived very modestly, um, had a yard that we took care of. He would always make us lemonade and call us up on the porch to have a refreshment before we finished, you know, with transition to weed eating or whatever. 
and he called us up one day and he told us about um, a poem that he'd written. And I just remember he, he was just like the sage voice in the formative years of my life. And he always left us with a nugget that you would not expect to get when you were mowing on a hot southern afternoon. And he insisted upon, on one of the last summer days of the year, handwriting down a poem that he had found to be memorable. He'd memorized it. So he wrote it down in his handwriting. He was aging. In fact, he would die between that mow and the next spring's mow. And in very frail handwriting, he wrote on a piece of yellow uh, notebook paper, something that I still have to this day. This would be now 22 years later, tucked into my Bible. And this is what I've since memorized it. So I want to share it with you. This is what he said. This is the poem that he cited from memory and wrote down for me. I met him in the morning when the day was at its best. His presence came like sunrise with a glory filled my breast, filled my being. All day long his presence lingered all day long he stayed with me and I sailed in perfect calmness or many a troubled sea. Other ships were blown and battered. Other ships were sore distressed. But the winds that served to drive them brought to me both peace and rest. So I think I've learned the secret to many a troubled way. You must seek him in the morning if you have him through the day. I'd like to lay out a challenge to you all. And it's very simple. And like King Darius' edict, I'm going to set it for 30 days. Not in perpetuity, so that you feel like a failure. But I'm going to invite you to, with me, to start the next 30 days out with five minutes of intentional prayer. I don't know that we're going to make this a church-wide thing. I don't know that we're going to put this in our announcements. It's for those of you who are here and who are worshiping online. Five minutes a day for the next 30 days. Talk to Jesus just like he's your best friend because he is. No pomp, no circumstance, No incense, although you could waft something if that was your preference. No regalia, just to you and Jesus. Tell him every concern you have. Tell him every fear you have. 
Tell him everything you're alarmed by. And see if your yoke doesn't become lighter. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you promised to carry our burdens. What an example Daniel is for us. What a man of integrity. He met with you regularly. Lord, I pray that praying for us would become as natural as it was for Daniel. Lord, I pray that we would be so close to you that we would experience things not unlike the types of things Daniel experienced in in his day. You're near to us. You still do miracles. I just pray you would lighten our loads as you've promised to do if only we will take you up on your offer. In Jesus' name, amen. If you miss a day, don't be legalistic. We're not devoted to discipline. We're disciplined to devotion. It's our devotion to Jesus that matters, not some activity. Okay? So if it doesn't become rote right away, don't beat yourself over it. Just talk to the Lord. Five minutes a day, 30 days. Add it to your calendar if that'd be helpful. Send your spouse an invite if that'd be helpful. Five minutes a day, 30 days. I'm going to invite you to give at this time. Those of you who call the mill home, this is another act of worship that we participate in every Sunday. I will have instructions on the screen behind me to do that digitally from your phone. You can also do that at the box at the back uh, before you leave. But God bless you guys for supporting our church, and we'll see you here in a few minutes.